Ladies and gentlemen of the congregation, welcome to another episode of the Motorsport Ministry. I apologize for my voice, I have a little bit of a congestion, hopefully it doesn't lead to anything, even though I felt great yesterday, and I feel, besides congestion, pretty good today, so let's hope for the best. But anyways, today's episode we're going to be talking about Indianapolis 500 qualifying, we're going to be talking about the All-Star Race, giving you our race weekend rankings, and the verse of the week. So without further ado, let's get started by talking about Indianapolis 500 qualifying. And the grid is set for this year's running of the Indy 500. And we're going to talk all about it. We're going to talk about the from the driver perspective, from the event itself, the historical perspective. We're going to cover as many angles as we can from this edition of qualifying. So let's get started by talking about... I want to talk about the driver's aspect first. And... Both engines seemed like they were very fast at the Indy 500. You had six Hondas and four Chevrolets in the top ten. You can't get any more equal than that unless you had five and five. Then you really couldn't get any more equal than that. This was also a very historic qualifying session. And I'll go a little more deeper into it once I start talking about for the event itself of qualifying. But this was the fastest front row in Indianapolis 500 history. You had Scott Dixon, who had the fastest pull in history with a lap average of 234.046 miles an hour. Second place didn't even come close to that, with Alex Flo, his teammate, your defending IndyCar champion, at a speed of 233.499 miles per hour. And with the lone Chevrolet on the front row, you have Renus VK, who's turning into a pretty good Indy 500 qualifier, he had a speed of 233.385 miles an hour. So, speed was the name of the game in qualifying. And you saw it with the front row and the results. And just to go a little bit more into it, Ed Carpenter, Redis VK's teammate, he's fourth along with Marcus Erickson in fifth. So, Ganassi has a program going. Because then he got Tony Kanaan in sixth. So, you got four Ganassi cars inside the top six. They're like the Hendrick Motorsports of Indianapolis 500 qualifying. Because, you know, Hendrick Motorsports, they're always starting like 1 through 4 at the Daytona 500. It seems like Chip Ganassi is always doing the same thing at the Indianapolis 500. Now, we'll see if that translates to race pace. Because Simon Pagano and... I want to talk about Simon Pagano, Elliot Castroneves for a little bit because they're the team of the defending winners of the 500 mile Shank Racing. They didn't have a good qualifying session at all. Pagano was the lead dog, but he was 16th. No Meyer Shank cars qualified inside the top 15. Pagano was 16th, and then Elio qualified all the way down to 27th. Now, usually what this means is you got to balance out your race setup with your qualifying setup. Some teams will go all in for the race, and then other teams will go all in for qualifying. It seems like Meyer Shank, they're leaning more towards the all in on the race setup. And even have another some other drivers, notable names, doing that as well. You got drivers like Juan Pablo Montoya qualifying 30th, Colton Herta qualifying 25th, Scott McLaughlin qualifying 26. Don't be surprised if you see these guys move up through the front pretty quickly, because I guarantee they're gonna have a really good setup for the race itself. But let's also talk about the rookies, because Roman Grosjean and Jimmy Johnson, they were fast. They both qualified inside the top 12, with Romain Grosjean qualifying 9th and Jimmy Johnson qualifying 12th. And had both of their cars not had issues in qualifying, 
they potentially could have made it to the Fast Six. You had Grosjean and Jimmy Johnson, who really in the same spot, they had near crashes, and both of them made incredible saves to save their cars. And, you know, it was an incredible sight to watch, but you kind of wish it didn't happen because you want to see where they could have gone. Especially someone like Jimmy Johnson, who is very, who has a much experience of getting around this track, granted in the stock car, but he's also had almost two years of IndyCar experience now, including on a Nova at Texas where he, qualified, where he finished sixth. But even then, four-time Brickyard 400 winner, had the fastest four-lap average out of anyone throughout the month. It would have been nice to see what Jimmy Johnson could do if he made it into the Fast Six. But let's stop talking about the drivers. Let's now move on to the prestige aspect of this race, of this qualifying session, I should say. As I mentioned, this is the fastest front row in Indianapolis 500 history. And you see that on social media. Like, everyone was in awe from the broadcast to everyone on social media to see Scott Dixon put 234 miles an hour on the board was damn impressive, and you knew it was impressive. And what's even bigger is that this event, this qualifying event, it felt like it was made a big deal. Like, you felt, even though there wasn't any bumping, you felt that there were stakes. Where certain drivers are going to start? Who's going to make it? Who's not going to make it to the Fast 12, the Fast 6? It felt like the Fast 12 was, in a sense, your bump day. Because he obviously only had 33 entries. And everyone made it seem like this mattered. It, everyone made it seem like this session mattered. From the broadcast to even the crowd. Teams knew that. Everyone knew that this this was a big deal. <clears throat> no one felt like this was a joke. Which, when we get to the other segment. When we get to our next topic. We're going to be talking about that. But... You felt that this qualifying event had prestige. It's something that I wish like the Monaco Grand Prix had with their qualifying session, or the Daytona 500 had with their qualifying session, or even their duels. I wish it had the prestige that Indy 500 qualifying has, where everyone knows that this is real. This is a big deal. And it's important for taking for making sure that your sports take it seriously. Like, not a lot of people watch IndyCar. And I criticize IndyCar a lot, but they're probably one of the most prestigious and most respected auto racing divisions out there because they take themselves seriously. And you see that in full display with this qualifying session. So from the driver's perspective, from the historical perspective, from the prestige perspective, this Indianapolis 500 qualifying really went, unless you had bumping, it really could have gone as good as you could ask for. Alright, so we just talked about a very important historic event. Now we're going to go to the complete opposite side of the spectrum. We're going to be talking about the All-Star Race at Texas Motor Speedway. And like I said, it was the exact opposite of Indianapolis 500 qualifying. Now, I'm probably going to get a little more heated, a little more opinionated in this segment... That's just because I lean more towards NASCAR than I do IndyCar, even though I know IndyCar holds the biggest race in the world. But, whatever product that was at Texas, that was a disgrace to the sport. A complete disgrace to the sport. Everything that could have went wrong, went wrong. 
The pre-race concert was the only good moment of that entire race. Now, to be fair, to talk a little bit about the overall racing product itself, it wasn't bottom feeder terrible, but it was still awful. Passing was still near impossible. Maybe besides one or two moments throughout the entire race, you couldn't get by the leader. Before Kyle Busch had his incident, he was leading every single lap, and no one was even close to touching him. And even when Ryan Blaney was up front, no one could touch him. So, passing was near impossible. And I'm going to go on a little Texas Motor Speedway rant. I know this has been said multiple times by multiple people in multiple different ways, but just cut Texas off the schedule. Cut it. You have to at this point. There's no saving Texas Motor Speedway. When you have a car that has made every single mile and a half and or intermediate objectively better than the Gen 6, and then you come to Texas and the racing is still pathetic, your track is not worthy of being on the NASCAR Cup Series schedule. Your track is not worthy of being on the schedule for the most popular, supposed to be, most prestige motorsport in America. There's only been one good race at Texas since it was reconfigured. And I'm counting every single series, every type of race. And that was IndyCar just a couple months ago. That was, it took almost six, Five years to get a good race at Texas. Every every other race is borderline passable at best to nine times out of ten being turning off the TV. I'd rather go watch paint dry. The officiating was awful. They should have given Ryan Blaney $2 million for what they made him go through. You're really going to throw a caution when he's three feet away from the start finish line, just to muster some excitement. And then on top of that, Ryan Blaney puts his window net down, which, yeah, it's his fault. You saw the caution, not the checkered. But Ryan Blaney should have never been put in that position in the first place because of NASCAR's officiating. The tires were failing left and right. I know people want to say, oh, you know, if you stayed out, of course your tires were going were gonna to fail. Okay, I get that. But we're not talking about 60, 70 lap runs on tires. We're talking runs that are less than 30 laps. This was like what happened at Kansas. So the tires fall off was terrible. Tires failing left and right. I mean, if Goodyear doesn't have one problem, they now have another. It's like they don't know how to handle these next the load on the next-gen cars. Now, granted, they'll probably figure it out. Well, this will probably be a story that we won't hear come playoff time, but they need to figure this out, and they need to figure this out fast. They're lucky that this was just for the All-Star race because if... That crash with Kyle Busch, Ross Chastain, and Chase Elliott. If Ross Chastain went to the inside wall and didn't go straight, because he was he plowed into Kyle Busch at full speed, 180, 190 miles an hour. If he went into the inside wall, that would have been a we really would have tested the safety of the next gen car. And that's a test I do not want to see partake in. And the broadcast wasn't any better either. I mean, what screams all-star race for NASCAR? They brought in an actor that I've never heard of. I'm not even sure if he was an actor. And they brought in a football player who used to play on the Dallas Cowboys. And then they were talking about the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. What are we doing, NASCAR? This is not how you handle an all-star race. This is supposed to be an all-star race. You want this race to be fun. You want this race to exhibit how fun it is to be a fan of the sport. 
It was confusing because of the format. No one understood what this format meant. Everything went wrong. There's nothing in this event that went right. And I'm not going to talk about how to fix the All-Star Race. I've talked about it in a previous episode. There's multiple people from multiple areas who have talked about this, who have more time to talk about it than I do, honestly. But if you want just like a little bit of my opinion, pretty much everything I just mentioned, do the exact opposite of it. Completely overhaul the event. Don't go to Texas. Get a better broadcast partner. Bump it up from a million dollars. Stop marketing it as, oh, there's a million dollars on the line. I'm pretty sure the winner, I'm pretty sure Austin Cindric won more money for himself for winning the Daytona 500 than he did for the All-Star Race. Because you know that the million dollars isn't going all straight to the winner. Hell, their contracts, I'm pretty sure their contracts, yeah, the contracts aren't that big nowadays, but their contracts, they're more than a million dollars. So make the purse worth something. Make it worth five million. Like my buddy NASCAR Penny has said this multiple times for multiple years. Make it five million, ten million dollars. Make it to where these drivers are actually going to drive for. Make make the incentive mean something. Because these drivers for a million dollars, they're not going to risk their lives for. Especially at a track like Texas where you can't pass anyway. But I'm going to stop ranting. This is one of the worst, not just all-star races in NASCAR history, but Jeff Gluck's poll, look at it. Only 11% of fans enjoyed this race. Which was is the lowest out of, I believe, 239 races that he's polled ever. This was not just an embarrassment for the All-Star Race, but an embarrassment for the sport as a whole. If NASCAR wants to be taken seriously, if they want to bring the All-Star Race back to relevance, literally overhaul the race, everything you did in this race, besides the picker challenges, do the exact opposite and never do that again. Alright, so now let's go on to a little more lighthearted segment. Race Weekend Rankings, sponsored by Johnny B's Barbershop. If you live in the South Florida area and you're in need of a haircut, head over to Johnny B's Barbershop. Rob, Will, Johnny, and the rest of the crew will not only give you a fantastic haircut, but a friendly atmosphere you do not receive at any other big chain haircuts places. So head over to Johnny B's Barbershop on Davy Road Extension and Sterling Road and tell them that I sent you. So... We got four races to rank. We got the All-Star Race, we got the Xfinity Race of Texas, the Truck Series Race of Texas, and we got the Formula One Race at Spain. So, without further ado, let's get started by talking about number four on the list, and if you guys just listened to my previous segment, you already know it's going to be number four on the list. Dead last is the All-Star Race. This is the first time in, you know, I started doing these race weekend rankings, I believe, last year. And this is the first time I could truly say I did not find a best moment of the race. I could probably put the best moment of the race is when the second checkered flag flew because I knew the race was over. There really wasn't that great of a moment in the race. You could say maybe Alex Bowman or Ricky Sandhouse Jr., but to call that a best moment of the race when that should be your standard for NASCAR racing, it's pathetic in my opinion. The worst moment of the race was, I'm going to put it as the three-car crash between Kyle Busch, Ross Chastain, and Chase Elliott, just because... Kyle Busch, every, that epitomized the All-Star race, in my opinion. Kyle Busch, leading the race, flat tire. Ross Chastain, nasty crash. Thank God he did not go into the inside wall, because he went through Kyle Busch at 190 miles an hour, full speed. And then Chase Elliott, innocent bystander, gets clobbered up at the end. Pretty much everything that could have went wrong in that moment went wrong. And my WTF moment of the race was that final lap caution. 
why NASCAR was so trigger happy. We know why they were trigger happy because they wanted to create more excitement for a finish. But fans wanted to leave. They were expecting to get ready to leave, and then you just prolonged them even longer for two laps. Really, probably what was it, four or five laps? Because they, you know, had a couple laps just parading around under caution. But again, I'm giving this race a two out of ten. And that's being generous in my opinion. I really should be giving it a 1 out of 10. Number 3 on the list is going to be the Truck Series Race of Texas. Biggest moment for me was Stuart Friesen's win. Um, because he hasn't won in nearly 3 years. His first win in a Toyota. It's always good to have a feel-good story coming out of the weekend. There wasn't really a worse moment for me. I mean, you could probably point to one of the, you know, a couple spins, one of the couple crashes, but there wasn't really a standout worst moment for me for this race, as there was no WTF moment of the race. This was a fairly tame race. Besides that Stuart Friesen win, nothing really happened. So I'm going to give this race a 4.5 or 5 out of 10. Kind of just a, not even an average good race, just an, an eh race. Number two on the list I'm going to give to the Xfinity Series race of Texas. And best moment for me was Tyler Reddick winning. Not necessarily for Tyler Reddick, but for Big Machine Racing. New team, new win, new winner in the win column. They're now locked into the owner series playoffs. So to always have a new winner, not only from a driver perspective, but from a team perspective, it's always good to have. Worst moment for me was the big one in stage three, the sixth caution of the race, which involved, I believe it was the Josh Berry, Noah Gregson, and Ty Gibbs, along with multiple other drivers. So, again, big one. You never want to see a bunch of cars get torn up. And this was another race that didn't really have a WTF moment. I mean, besides that win and that crash, nothing really happened. You know, Texas is never going to put on anything better than a 7 out of 10, especially for stock cars. So I'll probably give this a 5.5 out of 10, a little bit better than the Truck Series race. Which means number one on my list is going to be the Formula 1 race at Spain. Biggest, best moment for me, I should say, was George Russell versus Max Verstappen towards the middle portion of the race. Where for nearly a whole half of a lap, those two were side by side, not giving each other an inch, you know, racing each other as hard as they can. That was fantastic to watch. Worst moment for me, Sergio Perez team orders. I know they were on different strategies. I know Verstappen was faster, but you still should have given Perez the opportunity to defend himself. I understand why Max Verstappen had a chance to take the championship lead and Red Bull wanted to take that, but you still never want to see team orders be put into place, especially when it's for the lead of the race. And my WTF moment for this race was Charles Leclerc's DNF. It happened out of nowhere. Comfortably leading the race, and then out of nowhere, boom, his engine dies. You don't see that much. You haven't really seen something like that happen. I can't remember that much recently. I mean, Max Verstappen last year in um, Baku when his tire went down. But I'm even looking back to Sebastian Vettel when he crashed out of Germany in 2018. You don't see those moments happen a lot in these races. This race, I'm going to give a 7 out of 10. It was an alright race, a solid race, a lot of good a lot of good storylines coming out of the race. So I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. Not really the best weekend for racing. Again, when you're racing at Texas and you're racing at Spain, two of probably the worst tracks on each series' respective schedules, it's probably going to happen. But you had solid racing coming out of Spain. You had average racing out of, at best coming out of Texas. And that's going to do it for our edition of Race Weekend Rankings. Alright, so now let's end off the episode with our verse of the week. So, here we are to open up the Motorsport Manual. Now, 
I know I've kind of been in a, like a negative Nancy for most of the episode. So for the verse of the week, I'm not going to do it for the All-Star Race. We're going to end this episode on a positive note. We're going to be positive ending this episode, hopefully going to next episode. So here it is for our edition of Verse of the Week, opening up the Motorsports Manual. From the Book of Bricks, Chapter 9, Verse 12, our Verse of the Week is Speeding into the History Books. What does that entitle? Well, if you listen to the first segment, basically talking about how this was the fastest front row in Indianapolis 500 history, and obviously with that record, they will go down into the history books. So our Verse of the Week is Speeding into the History Books. And that's going to do it for this edition of the Motorsport Ministry. Again, apologize about the voice. Kind of apologize for being a little bit of a negative Nancy, but, I mean, that race was just an abomination. Like, I, there's no other way I could have spun it. But thank you again for tuning in to the Motorsport Ministry. If you want to listen to the back catalog of all previous 50 episodes of the Motorsport Ministry, you can search us up on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. You will find all previous episodes, including last week's episode, where I was talking to NASCAR Opinion, Vanilla Wafers, and Johnny on the Track, where we were talking about the All-Star Race. And that's a fun episode that I definitely recommend you guys listening to. We had some banter. We placed a bet. I lost the bet, but we're not going to go any further into that. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time.